0: Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here. Thanks for joining me another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have two very special guests with incredible knowledge of video gaming for some particular reason. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We were talking about that a little earlier, but no. Hey, I, I have Sarah with the FAF group, and I have Benjamin, um, just representing himself today. Is that correct? Did I get that right, Ben?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, it's you're, you're, ben, you're not Benjamin. So- oh, but gosh, yeah. I,
0: uh... Well, your mom calls you Benjamin, so I get to call you Benjamin. Oh,
1: jeez. No, I'm just
0: kidding. <laughs> no, Ben, you're you're a bit of a you're you're a gun for hire now, right?
1: Yep, absolutely. Um, So doing advisement for uh, uh, either dealerships or um, other people in the industry, vendors, partners, um, and and trying to like help them navigate this kind of new normal.
0: Very cool. And Ben, how did you get started in the industry?
1: Yeah. So um, when I was in college, in order to get out of college to graduate, you had to do an internship and I was lucky enough to do that internship with a company called dealer.com. Um, so helped that company grow uh, to a public exit through the acquisition of dealer track and then uh, back to private through Cox automotive and uh, then jumped into multi-touch attribution models with a company called Clairvoy uh, where we're trying to determine what clicks really drove the sale. And most recently was a part of uh, digital retailing transformation, um, basically modernizing the retail process for car dealerships at a company called Prodigy. Uh, and, you know, the biggest highlight though, is like my family has five dealerships. So uh, this is pretty much all I know is auto. Uh, if you ask me about, well, I guess uh, video games too, apparently, but if you ask me about pretty much anything else, uh, I'm not going to be very helpful, but within the auto realm, um, uh, it's, it's born and bred
0: master of automotive and animal crossing. Yes,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Thanks. That's, that's um, right on my LinkedIn. It's like yep. the
0: best intro ever, by the way, um, <laughs> this is the best intro on the podcast. So awesome. Sarah, um, uh, thank you for taking the time to chat with me, man. I really appreciate that. Uh, for everyone out there that's listening or watching right now and don't know who you are and kind of how you got started in the industry. Let's start off with that origin story. That is Sarah.
2: Yeah. So I was actually just mentally calculating while Ben was talking to figure out how long I should say I've been in the car business now, but, <laughs> um, un- unfortunately or fortunately it's 24 years. Um, I started at a dealership when I was in pretty like basically as soon as I started college or sorry, high school. Um, and I did co-ops there. So I started with Ford. I was with Ford for a little while. I started selling cars when I was 17. Um, I thought I could do it. I look, and now when I look back at a picture, I'm like, who would have bought a car from this person? But they did, which was weird. Um, (laughs) So I guess maybe you can look a certain way, but still sell cars, but um, as long as you treat people. Right. But uh, yeah, so I worked for Ford. I've actually, I've been with FAF for now 14 years. So the majority of my post university Um, has been in numerous roles with FAF. I did do some head office stuff. I used to work for Honda Canada Finance. I did a little bit with Mercedes, uh, parts and accessories and... Little bit of everything. But uh yeah, 14 years with FAF as an FSM, a sales manager, a general sales manager, a general manager. And now I look after um we used to call it future retail projects for FAF, but it's funny now because we're in the future, it would seem that I now just call it FAF retail. You <laughs> know how ironic is that, yeah. right?
0: I was I was I saw your title um when we connected on LinkedIn, I was like yeah, I don't think that's the future anymore.
2: No, future came fast, it's like really fast. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: uh, before going any further, though, can can you just give the audience uh, a, a just a brief explanation of what that title is and kind of what you do for the group?
2: Yeah, so future retail um, was originally designed to look at. Um, we are a one price um, dealership. Uh, we have been for over a year. Our whole group. Uh, pretty much other than a couple outliers that we're still transitioning has transitioned to one price, no fees, so no negotiation. So um, I look after some sustainment on that project. And then the future of FNI and single point of contact sales is another major focus for me. And then uh, obviously digital retailing and what the process looks like now from a touchless standpoint. Um, So a little bit of what touchless sales looks like, and and how we make sure that we still offer all the F and I product, and and ideally can do it without bouncing people around too much.
0: I love the the idea of a touchless experience. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of dealerships out there that are looking at digital retailing, and they think that's what digital retailing is, and that's it's actually far from the truth. I mean, that was never the intention behind digital retailing was to create this this touchless experience. But, you know, I think that's the kind of the technology that we've adopted or that's the way everyone's perceiving it, you know, to, to start what this new norm is going to look like. And, you know, someone actually challenged me the other day about using the word new norm and uh, the word that they were using was actually um, enhanced is more of a this is an enhanced way to buy a car. This is the enhanced way to service a car, and I'm like I'm I'm, I'm down with that. I mean, but I think you you know if you use new norm enhance, it's it's one of the same bottom line as this. It's changed. <laughs> like, the way customers want to interact with the dealership moving forward is just fundamentally change. And that's kind of where I think I'd like to start our conversation today, guys, is how do you see that the customer um, now, I guess, almost requires us or expects us to uh, change the way they interact with us? Sarah, I'll go ahead and start with you.
2: Yeah, I mean... There's, I always kind of go to our no negotiation thing, because I know there are people out there who still want to negotiate, (laughs) but it's becoming few and far between. And I think, you know, it's funny when we transitioned to that model of one price, no negotiation, you almost anticipate that there's going to be more feedback than you get. So you go ahead and say our kind of opening statement, which is a requirement in the way that we do business. If you don't tell people up front that you don't negotiate, you've set them up right off the bat for a really poor experience, right? So when you walk into one of our stores, it's like, is this your first time in a Faf dealership? Well, we just wanna let you know that we do things a little bit differently here. We price our cars, not our customers, which means that regardless of whether you are, you know, your neighbor, your brother or whatever, you're gonna get the same price. We're gonna make sure you get the best deal. You don't have to negotiate for it and waste your time. So let's look at what cars are the best for you today. And I think that that expectation should be everybody's expectation moving forward. Um, You know, when you email or call us, we're gonna give you our best price first. And there is nothing more painful than negotiating to buy a car. And I think that was, Probably the biggest reason why I became this massive adopter of it is because as a general sales manager, and even when I was in FSM, just sitting there listening to it, like by the time you met these people, you were like, I don't even like this person anymore. Like, I don't want to, right? You're you're going, I don't know. It's a
0: crappy process. It sucks.
2: It is. It's a terrible process. Everybody is on guard. Nobody ever leaves feeling like they had the best experience, right? So, and I think it You know, it should be and it will be the expectation that transparency is absolutely, you know, what makes you credible in business. And if you can give somebody your best price first, if you can, you know, not have all kinds of hidden fees and, you know, even as far as our F&I products, we for the most part one price them. So if you are walking in, we tell you that like off any posted price of, you know, an extended warranty, you're going to get X number of dollars off to make sure that you're getting the best deal or, you know, what people used to charge for window 10 and what we charge for it now and a little bit, You know, just making sure that everything's really clear. That's definitely an expectation now, for sure. Um, But I think obviously going into what we're dealing with right now, the ability to completely interact without somebody being there is, is definitely the key, right? So sending those videos and all the things that you used to tell your best salesperson to do. That's what every salesperson has to do now, right? <laughs> that salesperson should go out to the car. To it's the actually, it's
0: actually a really good point though. It's you know, it's, uh, I don't think people realize how much process there is. And, and Sarah, and this is why I want to have both of you guys here, because I think Ben, you can really kind of speak from the tech side of things. And Sarah, you really could, you can speak from that, that operational process side is that this is, it's so much more detailed process than we've ever had in the past where it's like someone just kind of walks in the door and we sell them a car and we kind of fumble our way through the sales process where that's not how this new norm is. This is very clearly defined, transparent step one through 20, whatever the heck the process is right to actually be able to, you know, buy the car hundred percent online and this touchless type experience. Um, I'm going to go ahead and and jump over to you, Ben, real quick, you know, from the tech side. All right. How how do you see, how do you see this new norm and how the tech's going to kind of fall into this new norm?
1: Well, I I think there's a trap that, and first of all, Sarah we price our cars and not our customers is like (laughs) I'm a hundred percent money. I love it. Um, uh, but I digress. So yeah, I think from the tech side, um, the problem is most of the companies that are getting into the facilitation of a sale are thinking of themselves still as marketing companies. In, in if we took ourselves out of retail for a second and we said, well, let's go into any other e-commerce platform um, and let's look at what they do. The first hypothetical question I would ask is like, all right, uh, one, did Jeff Bezos when he was creating Amazon, did he say, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna make a amazing buy it now button. First thing I'm gonna do. Or was the first thing that he did was said, I'm gonna make a really, really efficient warehouse, right? Which do you think went first? Probably the warehouse. Actually, we know it's true. He'd made the warehouse first. And actually, as you watch Amazon, what they do is they nail operations and logistics And then they sell it as a package to everybody else. So they go in and they say, look, we're going to make the most efficient warehouse at selling books you've ever seen in your life. And then a couple years later, they go, okay, now that we're so good with our own warehouses, we're actually going to package that and allow anybody to sell stuff through our warehouses. And then they say, oh, you know what? We're going to do the same thing on servers. We're going to make servers that are super efficient. And then we're going to come out with this thing called Amazon cloud services. So they come into this moment where they say internally, I'm going to become hyper efficient. Once I've mastered efficiency, then I'm going to make it available externally. And so I think, you know, what Sarah's getting to is that the button is really only as powerful as the process behind it. And if you don't have an extremely elegant process, then you just have a button And a lot of dealers right now, just have buttons on their websites uh, and they all do the same thing. It's, first name, last name, email address, maybe someone gets back to you within the next half hour. Yay, right? Um, So it, it seems like, yeah, why are we not focusing on the 18 or so steps? And if you're building technology, are you focusing on technology that helps enable those 18 steps, connects those 18 steps, as opposed to just building really, really elegant pretty buttons?
0: I love that, pretty buttons. You know, I think there's um, you know, in marketing, I always kind of had the saying where it's like, you know, um, creative without strategy is called art, all right. Creative with strategy, that's called marketing. And you know, it's it's the same kind of what you were saying there, Ben. Was is just I think there's a fair amount of fair amount of dealers out there that are just buying pretty buttons.
1: Yeah, and almost then, too many. I call it button yeah. bomb. Like you I, go, I like
0: that. that's a good one. We should actually coin that as a term from now. Yeah,
1: because if you go to a lot of dealership websites, it's like, man. That E price button worked. And you're like, why don't we throw a request a test drive button? Yeah, that worked. Why don't we throw a you know finance app button on? And then 14 buttons later, you're like, not 14x leads, you've just subdivided your leads 14 different ways. And so there's like part of this operationally, I think, actually bleeds into the marketing side, which is so why well, I'm so excited about this particular area. Because, you know, if you're going to make it very fluid uh, with a single point of contact in store, it's like, well, are we also making a single point of entrance online? Right. So in the digital storefront, is that being reflected there, too?
0: So i think that's a good one to actually kind of lead in in for yourself you know from from an operations perspective right? instead of just having pretty buttons you know how how has this been kind of an an operational challenge for you and what efforts are you guys currently right now taking to to uh i guess create what that new touchless experience is going to be
2: yeah i mean what's nice is since the showrooms got shut down we have a little bit of time to think about
0: it it's very true
2: uh, So, yeah, I mean, right now we're process mapping kind of what, what the entire experience. And I mean, as you said that those processes are so minute in making sure, you know, as we learned with service reopening yesterday, um, you know, to the who cleans the car before somebody touches it to, you know, Even how you clean the car, right? Well, now, it, I mean, we, we just posted a video um, on our social of exactly the process that we're using for COVID. So, you know, when you pull up, you call, we aren't allowing people into the dealerships. I know some people are, but we are doing outside drops with, you know, full cleaning and everything outside. And then all the interaction over the phone or Comobi for payment and, and whatnot. So, and then now we're at that point with sales too, right? So yeah, I mean, it's great. We can all get e-leads and everybody can answer an e-lead, but what does that look like? What does that response look like and especially in our world being one price and not having the negotiation you know there's a little bit of do you just kind of give everything right away and you know, we do, which is the funny part, right? And, and most dealerships, you get the, the baited reply, right? Um, which, unfortunately, is why the process still takes so long, because you get the, you send an e-lead, and you think, this is great, I don't have to interact with somebody, because that's what 90% of us want these days. Well, although, now that we're locked up, maybe we want the interaction, but it's <laughs> <That's laughs> true. Or when we were busy and we just wanted to send a message and get a price, you couldn't get it because your reply was, you know, thank you for your interest in this car. It's a really great car. You're going to love it. When do you want to come down and see it? And, you know, don't get me wrong. I grasp the concept of booking an appointment, but there's something to be said for people not wanting to do that. And we didn't allow it. Like as an industry, we did not allow it. We did not want people to be able to not show up in our showroom, so that we could then fight with them over the price, try to get the most gross profit and then do that whole thing again in the business office and everywhere else. Right? Well, so, we wanted
0: to maintain control.
2: Always, right. I mean, as an
0: industry, I mean, look, come on, guys, let's let's face it. All right, we are literally like control monsters. You know, yeah. it's like someone has to buy a car the way I want them to buy a car. God forbid I let them actually steer the process. You yeah. know, but and I think it's amazing that you know. The cool thing is, Sarah, you're you're ahead of this. I mean, you guys are way ahead of this because this is these are processes that you guys have already started to put in place. I'm I, sorry, I apologize. I didn't mean to interrupt, but yeah, can you just continue to go on about kind of what that how that new process development is is looking for you guys?
2: Yeah, I mean, so new process wise, I mean, the requirement of doing a video walk around, right? It, you know, especially when I I would guess that more than half of our customers. When we are allowed to, you know, have the showroom open again, I don't think that more more than half the people are going to want to come into the showroom. Like, my sense is that people will fear going into buildings that they're not going to want that level of interaction. And and the other thing is, I mean, as we've all seen, because we're all on Zoom with our families, everybody had their Easter, you know, dinner chat with their whole family. Like, you can have a relationship with people without ever really meeting them right i don't know either of you guys we're having a conversation right we're we're on a zoom meeting and you have a relationship with people based on that so why can't you continue the whole process like that so you know conceptually um for the time being that looks like yeah you've submitted me a lead great we're totally transparent so here's the price on it here also is a video um hopefully we get a chance to have a phone conversation but again people are funny with phones and it doesn't matter but hopefully we can some of your sweet spots so we can show you a relevant video, right? So that you see what you like about the car. But if not, we can point out some features, send you a video, um, go ahead with a deposit, obviously anything that you want to do from like a credit and everything standpoint, we can do online. And then home delivery is going to be obviously a key part of it as well. And that's never been an issue. I mean, a decade ago when I was a sales manager, if a customer didn't want to come in, I'm like, you get in that car and you go to that house and (laughs) your best salespeople do, right? Why wouldn't you do that? Like you are spending two hours out of an eight hour day actively working most of the time. So why wouldn't you go for a drive and show somebody a car? And now it just means that that becomes the norm, right? We bring the car to you. We deliver the car to you. Everything is at your convenience.
0: Well, and and I think that that's a great point, right? Is that this isn't a new thing. You know, we, we got a chance to talk a little bit, you know, before we started this, you know, it's, you know, when I first started in the BDC, you know, 15 plus years ago, you know, we were drop shipping Corvettes across the country. It was completely touchless. You know, we had to process the crap out of it. So we knew who was handling what paperwork, what documentation needed to be carried. You know, we were having to actually send it off. They had to go someone locally to notarize it so that we actually know that was the person that was actually signing off for it. I mean, like we had to process the crap out of that. And, And I think that's what we're really talking about here is that, you know, tech should be there to support us processing the living crap out of what this is going to look like. I'm just concerned right now because what I'm seeing is I'm seeing dealers jump on this tech. All right. As like, it's a, like a diet pill. Yep. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's like, you want to lose weight quick. You want to sell cars quick online, hundred percent online right now, sign friend, up for my diet pill.
1: Yeah. My friend Pedram says, uh, you know, dealers love seven minute ads. love seven minute ads. <laughs> right? And you're like, yeah, I mean, you know, but but I want to key in one thing really quick, because Sarah said something interesting. So there's this weird, um, and I have to agree, we are definitely control freaks. (laughs) And I have to I have to also assume that one of the reasons we even found a business like automotive attractive was because it's a necessary component of the economies we're in right so like it's transportation of goods like automotive is an uber it's an ambulance it's a fire truck it's FedEx guy it's that's automotive right so we are kind of that lifeblood of moving markets um what that also means is that sometimes we can feel like it's necessary like dude we got the water you're thirsty what do you want like you gotta like you you want and It's kind of a weird situation that I think is one of the things that keeps us from trying to get hungry on innovation is like, yeah, it's pond water, but what else are you going to get? And then the internet comes along and says, we have ultra pure water everywhere. Where would you like it? And this guy with the pond water is kind of like, you still want the, no, why? What's going on? Um, And then that kind of starts breeding the innovation. But out of this control mindset, I think what we have to reteach everyone is that transparency is actually about control. So the interesting thing, um, there's a book I just just finished reading called The Art of Learning by Josh Waitskin. And his, he was one of the, he's a, one of those guys that you're just like, dude, why are you good at everything? Right? He's a grand chess master, one of the youngest grand chess masters ever to, be, to live. And then he just decides, you know what, I'm also going to like become a black belt at uh, tai Chi. And then you know what? I'm going to be the first black belt ever in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Okay. You know, you're just like, dude, stop. But um, through that, he asked his Jiu Jitsu master, um, who's like world famous, uh, he's like, why do you always videotape and show everyone the moves that you're going to do in your tournaments? So, what this guy quite literally did is before he entered a tournament, He would actually videotape exactly what routine he was going to use on his opponent to the T. And his answer is so cool because he says, look, as soon as my competitor or anyone watches my video, they're playing my game. And I am a master at my game. I'm better at my game than anybody else's. And interestingly enough, I think that keys right into transparency. As soon as you're insanely transparent, this is the way we do business. I'm not saying that the customer is your competitor, but as soon as the, com- the customer looks and says, oh, I can subscribe to that, they are now playing your game, right?
0: That's interesting. You- so you're thinking through transparency is actually how we gain control.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: 100%
2: look at like when what i said about our concept statement like our statement is required to make sure that the rest of the process is followed properly right and that it is i guess kind of acceptable to a person and like similar to what you said you know obviously i've spent a year with hundreds of dealers asking me like how's one price going oh it must be terrible right like of course they're asking they're like oh one price and you know (laughs) yeah yeah right because they're like (laughs) There's no way, like you're never holding gross ever again. It's like, but that's not the case, right? We use factual information, actual data to make sure that our cars are priced accurately. And we're actually, you like you know, basing color, age, velocity, you know, like we actually have some sort of a basis, not today you're going to sell that car for $200 over cost. And then tomorrow you're going to try and make $2,000 over cost on another person because they weren't aggressive or, well, you know, like there's no logic to the way that we were doing it. And it is, it's it's like a, you're right. That that is exactly what puts us in control, right? You walk in the door, we tell you how it is. And that actually means that if you don't like that, you'll leave. So exactly. leave, still in control, if you and- don't like love- that you can't sit and haggle with us for two hours, they will leave. And it's so rare. Um, or they try you on, right? They're like, well, but you, you can throw in mats. And we're like, we can't. Like, if I could throw in mats, then that would defeat everything that I just spent an hour telling you, right?
1: Yeah, literally. So I think, and I don't think Carvana is as big of a deal in Canada as it is in the United States, right? No, not a big deal at all. Okay. Um, but obviously in the United States, it's a huge deal. Like everybody keeps on their, like in March, their share price is at $20. Now it's at 80. But even the markets are starting to say, well, this makes a lot of sense. Um, and people used to poopoo and say exactly that. Well, they're one price and they can't make any money. And now they make like $3,000 a copy. And then they'd say like, well, yeah, but you know, but they're not profitable. And then they're like, yeah, but they're pouring their profit into opening up more centers. Um, but all at the basis of it is a prerequisite that they say no to people that don't want to do business their way. If you walked in, you're like, Hey, I'd like to do business the old fashioned way and negotiate. They're like, cool, go find another dude. Like that's not what we do. The same we thing with Tesla. Like pe- pe- and then I
2: could tell you my one price. <laughs> <What's> that? <laughs> we could start at MSRP and then I could just tell you the price that I was going to give you anyways. Just so yeah, you-
1: If you feel like, yeah, it's the same, <laughs> same thing with Tesla. Like, People are like, oh my God, how does Tesla sell and deliver a car? Well, Tesla says, if you want to buy a car the old school way, then you're not on brand with us. You're not like, that is not the tribe we're trying to create here. Yes. So go find uh, someone else. I think the key
0: there is brand. See, I, I think what, you know, Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong here. Okay. So please do. Um, you know, uh, as far as Faf's perspective on this, is you guys defined how you want to be perceived. Right and to be perceived a certain way, all right, it was going to be one price. That was it. Like we, we, I mean, you want to be perceived as an easy company to do business with, all right. That this was not going to be a you know four and a half hour long transaction, all right. This can be you know a short transaction if you feel like you want to do a short transaction. But you know to do that, it's like uh, to be on brand and on point like that. You just had to draw a line in the sand. This is. This is how it is, and that that means a lot. But I think what it is a lot of dealerships haven't defined what their brand is. They don't know how they want to be perceived, you know. I don't so think it's dealerships like dealerships
1: also know what brand is. I don't even think they I, understand.
0: I, like, I agree with you. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I kind of yeah. want to know, Sarah, from like, let's go back in time a little bit here, right? Of like, kind of how this conversation got started, you know, uh, to the point from, you know, it's like, here was the original conversation to like, you know, here's the time it kind of took to get to this point where we now have this brand where it's like, we can, you could purchase the way you want to purchase. It's hundred percent transparent. It's one price. It's super simple. I mean, again, I I think a lot of dealerships are what I'm trying to push here for dealerships to understand that this is not an overnight thing you know, you don't, you don't buy this little tool. And Ben, you were saying button. All right. And stick it on your website. And then all of a sudden you're like, boo, like, I'm I'm good to go. This takes time. Sarah kind of walk me through kind of like what that process was.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, it is work. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. And I think arguably I mean certainly in Canada we have one of the strongest dealer brands for sure I mean we have the entire McLaren franchise for Canada we have obviously you know we have the biggest Porsche dealership in in the country one of the largest in North America so yeah our brand our brand you know kind of precedes itself and it it had we have a lot of focuses motorsports being a huge one which is great and brings people together but our biggest focus has always been customer experience and it goes, you know, 50 plus years back to like Hans back in the day, like Chris's dad, when he started the dealerships, like if you walk around and you speak to people who knew him 50 years ago, even if they only knew him because of the dealership, he brought cars from new market to Toronto when Porsche first started in Canada and he always had his racing gloves on and he would take you for a spirited test drive. And he, you know, my father-in-law vividly recalls him showing up at his place of business with porsches and being like let's go for a drive and and my father-in-law never bought a porsche like he was just that guy right he provided that level of service 50 years ago before it was even a thing to valet cars you know staff has always done valet for service we we kind of stand by those things so you know it's three it's your
0: brand it's a part of your brand was it just a good idea that's what i'm trying to drive home for people that are listening
2: yeah. And I, Ben, it genuinely is, right? You know, there's always a ton of reasons why a business would initiate something like what we're doing. And you know, obviously people question the motive behind it. And the motive is a hundred percent customer experience. And yeah, will there be advantages uh, as a result of it? Sure. Hopefully once people understand one price and how that like looks and feels in Canada, it does grow exponentially, right? And we took that step and it it, it reaches a point where because people now know your value proposition, they're saying, every single time they buy a car, there's no questioning it, right? Like they, they understand yeah. and have that faith in you and that does take time. So again, like we're committed for the long run because the second that you back off, you lose that trust. So yeah, it was, I mean, you know, it's over three years that we kind of started this whole journey into what that looks like. And don't get me wrong, like sustainment of our one price process is probably the biggest project we have going at every store on a, any given day, because any any kind of wavering from exactly that process can damage the brand, right? Um, and I think that's the biggest thing about it. And that's always my biggest warning because we have had so many dealer groups saying like, it sounds awesome. And I'm like, hey, but you have to know that the second you a lot of work. A customer, give you an offer, and if you doubt yourself and you think, Oh, I kind of want to do that deal. Then that car was not priced properly in the first place. And you defeated the entire purpose of the process and you can't take those deals. Like you have to walk it and then reassess and go, okay, if I was willing to take that deal, then that car was not priced right in the first place. And it's that, you know, it is that minute. Like you cannot make any exceptions. Um, and that's kind of what we learned. Like this is maintaining that brand and that trust and that transparency is everything, right? It's like, you're you're playing for the long
0: game, right? Like this, that's not short-term thinking. No. You know, that's long-term thinking. I mean, that's, that's creating, that's creating brand equity. That's creating the experience.
2: Yeah. I need you to go and tell all of your family members that this was the easiest process that you ever had. And, you know, two years from now, four years from now, six years from now, eight years ago, as every family member needs a car, they all get that same experience the exact same way as everybody started getting in 2019, you know?
1: Yeah, I think um, I want to, because this is interesting, like I'm, and this is geeky. So, heads up. Uh, I just finished this book, The Leviathan by Thomas Hobbes. And, you know, he argues essentially for a centralized power to enforce um, uh, the social contract between people, right? Well, to me, that is everything a business should be thinking about in terms of brand. So, there's a social contract, right, that is created between the customer and the dealer. Like, and the social contract is brand. It's the promise of something. It's like, okay, like your uh, Apple is gonna make me feel like I bought something really well designed, right? It's gonna make me feel super whatever, like cool. I'm, I'm a Samsung guy, so I don't even know what those guys feel. But, but, right, like there's an obvious brand there. There's a promise you're getting into the club. And there's such an obvious brand with you. I mean, like, again, that statement, we price our cars, not our customers is like, so on brand. It's such a promise that you're like, of course, everything that you're doing has to follow through with that. And one of the tenants in Leviathan is that basically if it, all it takes is one person to detract and the whole system crumbles, which is exactly what you're talking about. So it's like, I, I don't know. I think there's part of me that wonders, um, if dealers are thinking of brand in the wrong way, like are they thinking of it? Like brand should be like um, how the person feels or brand should be like, you know, the cool, like, like I use red font, right? Because I think it creates some sort of whatever. That to me is all logo stuff, um, but that doesn't really matter. What matters is what, what's the promise that you're trying to alleviate and why is there promise in the first place? And by the way, in a world where there's a ton of uncertainty, what happens? Fear, right? Fear becomes our primary motivator. What alleviates fears? Follow through promises. So if your yep, brand trust. has a promise and, it, and you trust that that promise is gonna be fulfilled, you're immediately gonna be the person I go and do business with in a fear and uncertain world, right? Like it,
0: but I, th- I think to do that, you have to execute it when everybody else isn't looking. And yes. this, Sarah, that's kind of what you were talking about earlier, right? Like if 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 you were to take that deal, which you most definitely could have, right? But that would have gone against everything that you're you're building, and that's just it's just a deck of cards. It's just going to eventually. But I think that the key, guys, is what we're talking about here is well, is for sure that
1: that's that to me is that's just culture.
0: Yes. Right? Well, see, that's when brand actually look. I think it starts with process. That becomes a brand. Generates an experience. And then the consistent execution of that can develop this amazing thing that everybody's looking for. And that's called culture because now I'm empowered, right? To be able to execute on something that my brand is all about. And I don't have to talk to my manager. I don't have to go pull the F and I guy to have this conversation or a service guy. It's totally. like no, I'm yeah. already empowered. I know that this is how I have to execute on this. Um, but here, guys, and, uh, I want to take one little other direction real quick because I think people out there that are listening right now and watching watching us is they're they're, they're nodding their heads with us. Go yeah, all right. Get this sounds good. I can buy into this for sure. I think what I want to do is I want to leave them with kind of a a couple initial steps, right? And I'm going to start on the tech side. You know, I mean, I think people need to be looking not for, um, magic diet pills <laughs> or seven-day abs, right? They they need to look for for real tech, all right? Real tech that's going to support the process that they're going to have to spend a lot of time in uh, developing and executing. Um, this is a question for you, Ben, all right? For someone out there, for a dealer out there right now that's kind of agreeing with what we're saying, hey, guys, I want to go down this direction. I want to be that dealership, all right? What should I be looking for in a piece of technology, all right, that's going to help me execute and or develop the process that's required for me to develop this brand and this experience. Ben, what should we be looking for in a piece of tech right now?
1: Yeah, um, so I almost want to say for the majority of dealers, you shouldn't even be looking at tech. So um, you're doing digital retail already, right? You go on your website and there's probably a trade-in form. There's that finance app. There's a payment calculator. All the components of digital retailing already exist. So the magic you get from having all of that facilitated in one thing is a huge net benefit for the customer, no doubt. But without the support, so if you're already doing a poor job supporting the ones you already have, right, and the buttons that are already being engaged with, um, you're probably not ready for digital retail. Uh, And so, so, I mean, that probably sounds counterintuitive, but like I would question that first, I would look at processes. And then once you think that is doing really well, then you'll feel net benefit to tech and the tech that you should be looking at should be uh, facilitating a process and um, reducing friction, not just for your customer, but for your salespeople too. Cause the only way you're going to get net buy-in from this isn't if it just makes it easier to shop, but it has to be easier to sell. Like if it makes it the salesperson's yeah, it's, job it's, easier to sell. it to be sell. easier for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I hear you usually. on that. And
0: actually, I think that's some really solid advice. Look, if you're not currently utilizing the tools that you already have, why the hell do you think going out and buying another tool is going to make your life even better, right? Like if you're not, you know, I, I'm, I'm nothing but impressed by what a technician can do with a set of wrenches that in my hands means absolutely nothing, yeah. right? But in their hands means thousands and thousands of dollars worth of work and gross profit. <laughs> So, Sarah. I, now I'm going to jump over to you. Um, you know, for the dealers dealerships out there that are listening, watching, and they're agreeing with us and going, "Yeah, but what are what are some like first steps?" All right, they got to sit down and you kind of said it earlier. Map out, you know, that process. Map out that experience. What are those first kind of steps are to developing out a process like this?
2: Yeah, it's funny. I was actually going to say, like, focus on the pain points first, right? Because uh, everybody always goes to like an ideal process, but implementing it is not always that as realistic right and if you're not constantly focusing on the things that either make customers feel negative or make your customers or your staff feel negative you're not going to fix the process, like the process will never fit, right? No one will follow it properly if those things aren't addressed. So, you know, we spent the majority of our starting time was actually spent on focus groups with people, whether they were our customers or, or buyers in general, about what their emotions were during that process of buying a car the old way, uh, so that we could pull out the things that stress people out the most and say, okay, so how do we fix those pieces of it, right? So it's not that our process of selling a car looks so drastically different than anybody else's. It totally doesn't. Selling a car is selling a car. As far as I'm concerned, it has literally looked the same since I was 17 years old. It's just that the actual, the actions going into it and the amount of pain you put people through can be reduced. So if you, if you know that every time a customer uh, buys a car that they spend 20 minutes waiting for an FSM, uh, if, if you know that you can't answer an e-lead in less than, you know, an hour because you're not properly staffed for it, right? There's just, there's all of these bits that I think until you focus on where your pain points are, you will never get to the part where you can kind of sustain and, and maintain that brand. Uh, so my biggest piece of advice is you have to find the pain points first um, for yourselves, right? Uh, and, and then kind
0: of reverse engineer back to develop the process
2: yeah you can't really like create you can't create a process that works for you if you don't know where you've been breaking down the whole way and and sometimes it doesn't even seem to you like you're breaking down right like like we don't sit there and go like man nobody likes talking to fsms like finance managers are the worst like nobody would say that right but customers do feel a higher level of stress at that point in the transaction. And it's because it, it's a different vibe. They're meeting a new person. They might've had to wait. They've already spent three hours going through the initial negotiation. So until you really get those ebbs and flows in a person's mood, you can't fix it. So- no, I
0: 100%. But I think the key thing is you actually have to give a shit first.
2: Yeah. You do a few of the shit. Right. I mean, that's
0: the actual biggest point is that like, you, you actually have to care about the customer's pain, all right? Before you can, because like I mean, to your point, you kind of said it earlier, it's like, do I really care that it takes twenty minutes to sit down with with an FSM? Do, do I really care about that, right? You know, do, do I care that you know um, that a customer has to come back into my dealership three separate, you know times just to make a purchase from me like do do i care about that so you know i think for the dealerships out there is that i think the first thing they have to do is they actually have to take a moment actually just kind of look in the mirror
2: yeah
0: and say you know do do i care enough about my customers to actually identify these pain points so then i can reverse engineer and create a process that's going to eliminate these pain points Is, is that fair to say sarah
2: I think so. I think, and, and in fairness, not everybody will care, right? Like, and that's that's fine too. Like, if that's the basis, that you might have a totally different direction, and that's your brand, and that's totally fine too. Right?
1: Yeah, I was just gonna say, look, Fiji water is pond water, right? <laughs> so true. Like, it is. It's just an aquifer, right? Like, it, un, under Fiji, like it's just pond water, but it's got a brand, and like you know, it's that easy. If you care, then you yeah. can make a brand.
0: I like that. It's that easy. If you care, you can make a brand. All right, guys, I know we're getting towards the tail end of our conversation today, but this was a lot of fun. Like, I mean, thanks guys. I mean, I, we, there was some great, some, some great takeaways here that dealerships that are listening right now, I think can actually go take action on. And, and I think just kind of sum it up, you know, we're talking about just caring. And that's really at the core of everything, the foundation, right, is that you're going to make these changes, all right? You're going to adopt the technology. You're going to adopt creating a new process because you care. And if you don't care, then just, well, you probably stopped listening to this podcast a while ago. So just whatever, (laughs) screw you. Um, But hey, before we go and we do our sign-off, guys, um, I want to both give you guys an opportunity to rant about what's pissing you off. (laughs) Sarah, I'm going to start with you. What is pissing you off, Sarah?
2: Mm -hmm. Currently, not business-related. My rant is parents who post things on social media about their their perfect homeschooling abilities. Listen, I'm not a teacher, and if my (laughs) girl gets 30 minutes, of active education right now I am working and that is what's going to happen and I don't need your advice for a schedule of how to have a super intelligent (laughs) four-year-old
0: I'm with you on that one, man. I, I've seen enough of those. <laughs> I, I really have. Like if I see one more, you know, the, the 10 ways or the top five, you know, it's like the top five ways to, you know, educate and entertain your children while you're at home. And then you go look at the profile. And they, their, their youngest child is 37 years old. Like, <laughs> screw you. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm trying to embrace the chaos <laughs> the chaos is the truth. Yeah. It is. It's the truth, right? Talk about transparency and truth. That's the truth. All right. Ben, you're up, man. What is pissing uh, you off?
1: Not automotive pissing me off. Uh, I would say that I can't. This sounds awful, but I can't tell people that I'm too busy to do a Zoom because they know I'm just sitting at home doing nothing like everybody else is. Um so it's really, really annoying that I have no good excuses to just be alone, right? Like, it's like someone will be like, yo, dude, uh, let's do a like Zoom social hour. And I'll be like, I, I can't. I'm really busy. Secretly just yeah, I can't playing say Animal Crossing. <laughs> right? Yeah. But like, yeah, I can't say, oh, I'm at an event. They're like, no, you're not. Or they're like, shame on you. Don't do that. So it's a lose, lose either way. I mean, that's what's pissing me off.
0: That's awesome. Hey guys, uh, but before we leave, uh, real quick for everybody out there that's listening, watching right now, and would love to connect with you guys and just kind of learn more about you know what, what you guys are doing and the company you work for. Um, what is the best way to do so? Sarah, I'm going ahead and start with you. What is the best way to connect with you?
2: Um, yeah. So my LinkedIn, is there Hindle or Instagram is probably my most used social media form and it's Hindle09. Um, and I post a little bit of car stuff on there, a little bit of life stuff and generally try to motivate myself via that. So that's the best place.
0: That's like the most decent Instagram handle we've had on the show for a while. (laughs) I was on, we did a podcast the other day uh, with the CEO of a company. And I won't say which one, because I had to edit it out. And I'm like, so, you know, what's your social handle?" And he's like, ah, I can't. I'm like, no, no, seriously. What's your Instagram, uh, you know, social handle? He's like, big daddy underscore 69. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, you know, it's not. I said, like, dude, that's so wrong. <laughs> like, that's you should rethink that. You know, um, you do, you do, right? <laughs> anyways, I digress. Uh, Ben, what is the best way to connect with you, man?
1: Uh, best place for me is always LinkedIn. Um, it's the easiest place to connect with me quickly. You could always shoot me an email at Ben at dude,
0: <laughs> awesome. Hey, thanks you guys again for your time today. This was so much fun. I really appreciate it. You guys have yourself a good one. Thank you. Thanks.